Good to be with you again today. Welcome to church. Thank you. Just looking at everybody, see who all is here today. I see there must be some family visiting, and how nice that is. And did you get a haircut? <laughs> I guess there was a reason, wasn't there? <laughs> Yes, and thanks to her, she had she was helping out this morning in one of the divisions. I'm going to start a series um, uh, that I I think and hope will continue for some time, but I hope it'll be uh, very beneficial to us. Some of you know that um, I have been involved in a doctoral program that's taking about as long as my life right now. Uh, This coming year, it's going to be 40 years I've been in graduate school. Can you believe that? I think they should have kicked me out by now, don't you think so? One of my, uh, one of the elders over at, um, at Willits who heard that said, do you have a hard time bringing things to a conclusion? <laughs> do you think? <laughs> so, but um, uh, the task is basically uh, the subject of spirituality and particularly the spirituality of children and what we can do to enhance the spirituality of children. It is not a simple task to master that. What is very exciting, what is very exciting to me is that it's all, I'm on the front edge of a tremendous uh, wave of enthusiasm and interest in the area of spirituality in our country today. Something that hasn't been seen for a long, long time. Uh, Some people call it the third great awakening. Do you remember about the other two awakenings back in the 1700s and the 1800s? You know, where you had these tremendous amount of revivals that just swept across America, transforming the lives of entire towns as people would leave the saloons and would leave the gambling and they would just be driven by a spirit way beyond what anybody... I mean, it was palatable, it was so strong to go to church. And you would see these people just assemble at church in the middle of the day, in the morning, and at night. It was a spiritual wave. God's Spirit was so powerfully felt in the heart of people that they would flock uh, to whatever they could go to to actually feel closer to God and learn more about God. Uh, It it was a phenomenal thing. And and, uh, people that are historians have, have studied it for some time. By the way, just a little interest to Adventists, the, the history of 1844, the movement that was just prior to that, they are now discovering qualifies for one of those great spiritual revivals as well because it was just as extensive and just as widespread. And so it's amazing. So, And this movement today, this interest, this excitement regarding spirituality has the same kind of a, um, an effect as those great movements a century or two ago. There's a tremendous amount of interest in this. A few years ago, um, I have been reading <clears throat> that the, um, the England and uh, the educational system in England, I may have mentioned this before, forgive me, I don't remember too well what I say, so... Um, 
you know, some time ago, the, the, the leaders of the educational system, parliament, all of that kind of stuff in, in, in England, have come to the conclusion that they're really missing out on something in their country. They are raising children, but children do not have character like their parents remember there used to be. Does that sound familiar? There is just seems to be a void. There just seems to be something so basically ne- uh, uh, necessary to survive in life is missing from so many of the young people growing up today. They don't know what, how to behave. They don't know what is expected. And they are lost. They are very confused and lost. And because of that, children get caught up in, in all kinds of damaging things. Crime and and um, habit patterns that are very, very destructive. And so the legislators in, in the, in the uh, British uh, countries of the world have decided that they need to actually bring back spirituality to the public school system. Talk about a shock. Well, actually, when you go back to it, the requirement to have spirituality in the school system goes way back to the beginning of the school system in, in the English countries. But they haven't applied it. But now recently, since the 1980s, that's not that far ago. Some of you can remember back that far. Some of you can't, too. <laughs> but go back in the 1980s and 1990s. They are actually requiring teachers in the English school systems to teach spirituality. And the teachers are just aghast. You know, they don't know how to go about do that. You know, by the way, do you know how to teach spirituality? How would you do it in the complication of a public school system? And in England, as you know, there's all different kinds of religions there. You know, it's a very diverse country. So that's just one example. And so there has been a tremendous amount of literature that has been generated, conferences, uh, magazines, and all kinds of stuff that has come out and researched in recent years on dealing just with this issue of how to teach spirituality in the public school system. We see these articles from Australia and all throughout uh, around England. So there is this interest, this surge of interest in spirituality. Now, during this same period of time, there has been a growing interest in a field called spiritual formation. Is that new to anybody? Or, or is, that, is that something you haven't heard about before? Do you know what spiritual formation is? And so there are now uh, individuals that are devoting their careers to try to understand how do you bring spirituality, spirituality into people's lives. Spirituality is such an interesting concept because we don't... How would you define it? What is it? And that's one of the major problems. What is spirituality? Can you just identify it with a word or two? Probably not. And so it's very difficult to do this. But there are now uh, individuals who have written quite a bit about that. Once upon a time, spirituality was not such a foreign concept in, uh, in, 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 in our world. Uh, can you give me some examples where you think that spirituality might have been a really powerful thing besides the ones that I've already mentioned? Can't we go back to the Bible? Were there times in biblical history when spirituality was prominent? 
Pentecost is a good example. What, what, by the way, before we leave Pentecost, what was there about Pentecost that makes it stand out in your mind as a real spiritual time? The huge numbers that come to Christ in, a, in literally a matter of hours. Yeah, and, and, what, and the Bible does affirm that in the book of Acts pretty powerfully. And what was so amazing about it is how completely this was able to transform people's lives. This was not a shave and a haircut. This was a total transformation in people's lives. And there was power, amazing power. Here was a group of people who were maybe on the outside of of society, maybe even a little bit on the illegal side of society, and now they were fearless, they were powerful, and they were changing society. And the only answer you can give to that is spirituality. Yeah, indeed. So the Holy Spirit... In order for spirituality to survive, the Holy Spirit has to be involved, doesn't it? But what happens when the Holy Spirit comes involved when there's a spiritual uh, revival is that it comes in with such force, as I described a little while ago, that was taking place in the 18th century and in the 19th century that so totally transformed society. And suddenly the Holy Spirit just came in with such power that it was like it was irresistible and it changed people's lives so completely. People came out of that movement, those movements, those times, with they were new on the inside and new on the outside. They had a new orientation to life, they had a new understanding of life, and they felt like that they were not a stranger to God. They felt like that God and they were one. Can you think of any other times? Pentecost is a very good example. I think I saw some other hands. Did, I don't want to miss anybody. Can you think of any other times when, when spirituality was a powerful thing? What about in our own denominational church history? 1888. 1888. Would you say that... Now, let me explain 1888 for those of you who don't know that. 1888 is a year. And in that year, our general conference, our church, the leaders got together in a general conference session, which is the highest organizational um, conference or body of group in the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Now, the delegates that were sent from around the world to attend this general conference session, by the way, what, what is that, 121 years, 22 years ago? Something like that. So the delegates came, and those of you that know about 1888... Would you describe that when they came that it was a spiritual conference? Anything but. <laughs> they, their agenda, they, have, they, they make presentations, uh, talks, lectures from, you know, to people that come. And you know what they were talking about? Very, no, 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 that wasn't on the agenda that I'm thinking about. They came with the agenda of talking about the horns on Daniel. Daniel's beast. That was the big important topic. <laughs> and they were going to fine-tune all the details about the horns. Does that sound like a spiritual event? <laughs> it's like sometimes you come to church. <laughs> anyway, the other thing that happened, though, is there was two young men, Wagner and Jones, two young ministers, they were, uh, Wagner was a writer, so was Jones. And um, God had been doing something in the minds of these two men. And they had come up with this idea out of the Bible, through their study of the Bible, 
something about God and the way God saves us and His righteousness. Because you see, in the early days of the Seventh-day Adventist church, the idea is that we kind of save ourselves by our behavior. Now, I don't know if that was, well, that was overtly said and very strongly said. But Wagner and Jones came in and said, no, salvation is a gift. God did it. And this brought such tear to the heart of the old establishment because they felt like, well, then everything's okay. We don't have to pay such careful attention about obedience. Just let go and let everything happen and roll loose. And, and, and what, what would this bring to the church? They thought that this would bring down the church. Ellen White was at that conference who you mentioned, Carol. She was at that conference... And by the way, she said that that, was, that conference was the most terrible event in her whole life. Because she saw the church that she had worked so hard for, labored so hard for, the Lord had called her to minister to, just actually fraying apart. And the behaviors and the attitudes were the most evil, unkind, ungodly behaviors. Here, Christians wouldn't even walk on the same side of the street if you had a different theological position. Don't think that's so unusual. That still happens today. Happens today in a big way. And, and, you know, and she was so saddened. The leader of the general conference was actually convinced that Wagner and Jones would be the worst catastrophe that would happen to the church. And so Ellen White was standing kind of alone in support of these two men that were bringing this, what Ellen White called, a very beautiful message to the church. And the, the thing that happened at General Conference was a tragedy in 1888. But what happened afterward was an absolutely amazing thing. Because Jones and Wagner and Ellen White hit the camp meeting circuit. How many of you have been on a camp meeting circuit? Well, every one of you that go to camp meeting, Right? You're part of it. And so they went and met with as many camp meetings as they could following in the year and a half or so following. And the Spirit of God came into those camp meetings and it brought such relief. Now what made the change? It's because people began to realize that Jesus was truly their Savior. And it brought their hearts close to Jesus and it triggered something called, you want to supply the word? Spirituality. It triggered spirituality. And it was a change. And when spirituality came in, it changed the whole demeanor, the whole attitude, the whole thinking of the church. And it brought in a wave of growth in the church like you could never possibly imagine. So we're on the front edge today of a movement of unprecedented scope, a spirituality revival clear across our country. By the way, it reaches beyond America and England and Australia. It's moving into the Orient as well today. It's, it, spirituality seems to be not inhibited by the boundaries and the cultures 
because it just moves right through them. It's something that everybody believes that is common to all people, this desire to be close to their Maker, to find out who it is that they are designed to be like. Because here's what happens with spirituality. Spirituality enables us to really fully be all that we are meant to be. It enables us to accomplish what we're here for. It empowers that to happen. Spirituality is the word that describes that. So I happen to be on somewhat of the front edge of this new type of revival and trying to understand what this is all about. In Canada, uh, less than 25% of adults in Canada attend church regularly, but 82% see themselves as somewhat or very spiritual. Did you get the difference there? And about half report that their lives have become more spiritual in the last several years. So this is something that, I mean, if you go to Canada and you go to England, it's a very secular state. But spirituality is finding its way there. By the way, I think in the Hispanic community we're going to see this revival taking place as well. Eugene Peterson. Uh, <clears throat> he's one of those who writes about this. I think he was the author, wasn't he, of the, the message, that very popular Bible that people enjoy reading. He said, The seething energies of spirituality are evident everywhere. Spirituality has to do with not just some theory. It has to do with something experienced. Now let me just go off the notes for a little bit and talk to you a little bit. Down through the history of the church, in the very early history of the church, not the Adventist church, the Christian church now, way back in the beginning, spirituality was a part of the normal life of people that joined the church. Just like you were mentioning up here, Pentecost came in and changed and transformed the entire church. But not long after that, listen to what happened, and this will sound so familiar to you. Spirituality became segregated or put off to the side for a minority of specialists whose job in life was to be specialists on spirituality. And therefore, they had to be apart. I'm moving over here apart, you see. They had to be apart from everybody else because you guys are not the specialists. We're the specialists. And so we would live in monasteries. And we would live in, what do the nuns live in? Yeah, convents. And, <laughs> and then... And then we would even move further away. We would move in tiny little cells in the desert to be totally away from people. And our whole purpose in life was to free ourselves from everything that wasn't spiritual. Say what? Yeah, but they even beat the Pharisees, I think. And these were Christians. Yeah. And, and they were amazing. And you know, you hear these amazing stories. These people believed that in order to be spiritual, you had to put everything physical out of your mind and out of your life. Simon Stylus sat on a tall pillar 
Remember that story? And he spent I don't know how many years up there on this pillar. His food had to be sent up and down, you know, and everything else, of course, that had to be, you know. And when he finally passed away, his clothes that he wore, he never changed. And I guess when he finally got them out of them, the clothes just kind of stood up by themselves. They were so caked, you know. But he was spiritual. He was a professional. And he was able to have thoughts that anybody else it was impossible to have. Right? So what happened then? Now listen to this. For the next thousand years, spirituality was a sideline for just specialists in the church. And anybody that attempted to bring spirituality to the daily life was considered a heretic. Pretty much. You got that? And God would continue to try. He would bring movements. He would bring different individuals that would try to help people. And what happened is, is that these spiritual people off to the side, you know, over here all by themselves, began to come up with ideas that really the body is bad. And these were basically uh, pagan ideas. Dualism is what they called it. You know, that the spirit is good, but the body is bad. And so they tried to put to death the body, so to speak, and that it was evil, and all of this was so, so bad. Spirituality just was killed with that kind of an atmosphere. It didn't change, really, that I could see. When it, came, when it came into Protestantism, you have another group that broke away from England that you will remember. Their names were Puritans. And they tried to create a spiritual society. And they had a whole lot of laws. And the idea of God by these kind of spiritual people were not that different than the idea of that group in, battle, that in, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, you know, at the General Conference in 1888 that God was harsh and that God was demanding. And if we didn't do it exactly the way God said it should be, that you weren't spiritual, you had to actually force this, this through. And, um, and that was what Ellen White says was keeping the church as dry as the hills of Gaboa. Spirituality is not that way at all. Totally different. Um, anyway, so you can see various different groups here, the Baptists and what happened to them and so forth, simply because of all of this. Now, um, there are new theologians and new people coming up today that believe that the Christian of the future will be someone who actually experiences and lives God in their life, which means spirituality. They will have contact with God, they will be transformed, you will look at their lives and they will see life differently. What will they see differently? What will spirituality give people uh, the capability of doing? Okay, they're not going to be judging of others. Thank you.
Enough of that checking with your God all the time. Yeah. He changed Egypt. Absolutely. Uh, Daniel. Daniel was a spiritual man, right? And the people around Daniel recognized that Daniel had access to things that normal people didn't have access to. Daniel had integrity. He had something that other people did not have. You know what that was? It was spirituality. Spirituality means you are connected to God, and God is connected to you. It is what all of us are long for. St. Augustine, troubled as he was, he said, yeah, let me see if I can find out, say it exactly, that in the heart of everyone, they will not, they will not find rest until they find God. Yeah, I, I butchered it, but it was similar to that. The heart longs for rest and fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Okay, now, so it, part of my studies is that I have to not only read all the journals and find out what's been said and read all the books and see what's been said, and that's getting to be quite extensive, and no wonder it's taken me 40 years. But I didn't start this until about three or four years ago, this topic of spirituality. Recently, I have typed in, and these are amazing what computers can do today, Type the word spirituality in, and you can find every word that Ellen White ever wrote. Now, why do we want uh, on spirituality? Why would I want to read what Ellen White had to say about spirituality? Just tell me. She herself was spiritual. Because Ellen White, what happened with her? Third grade education, but what happened to her? The Holy Spirit came into her life and she had unusual, unbelievable insights. Her whole life she had discernment after that happened to her. When she spoke, it's like E.F. Hutton, is that what they say? People listen, you know? I mean, it was like, that was what Ellen White was. Spiritual people catch your attention. They do not go down the path where everybody else is going. They somehow are able to find the right path. I heard the most amazing thing the other day. I didn't even see it, but it was in the background playing on the news, I think, somewhere, about this lady on Wall Street, was it, in New York? And people, all of these great big corporations are seeking this woman out because... Was it on the news? Yeah. And they're seeking her out because she has somehow this ability to be able to tell them when uh, something is a good investment or not, a good thing to do. And this lady is living in high class today because these people come to her and say, what should we do? And she just simply tells them. And apparently she's so successful, it's no training, it's native. And that they're paying her enormous amount of money because she's right spirituality is not that different than that. Not that you will use it for gain. Could be. Yeah, could be. I don't know about that, but it could be. But spirituality is this ability. It is this ability to be able to be right. This ability to have your life be so transformational that people look inside you and they see that the life confirms what you are saying. You are united. You are together. That's what spirituality is. 
It's like you have found completeness. It's like you are as broad as God is and yet as detailed. It's just, it's just amazing what spirituality is. When people are around spiritual people, they are changed by those people. It is unbelievable what probably is ahead of us. And like you said, Lloyd, there, the devil is no sleeper here on this one. He's going to have a false spirituality, isn't he? Yeah. So don't deny the true because of the false. They're going side by side. This is going to be an amazing struggle that we're going to see just ahead of us. <clears throat> so Ellen White, believe it or not, 870 references I've been trying to weed through, Ed. That's why I don't get everything to you exactly on the time that you'd like to have it. Uh, and Andrews, they're just uh, the college where I'm going to, the university. They uh, Anyway, they, they may be giving up on me. Um, <clears throat> here, I, can I read to you some of the things that she has said about spirituality? I think it'll help us to understand this concept a little bit. It is the children, it is the spirituality of the children of God that is their glory in his eyes. Of all the things that God looks for in us, it's spirituality. That's it. Spirituality takes belief and life and makes them one. It takes weakness and turns it into power. It takes emptiness and makes it full. It takes confusion and wipes it away and gives discernment. Why? Because suddenly you have in your access, in your life, all the gifts that God can bring. Who brings those gifts? The Holy Spirit who is charged to bring Jesus to us. And so just as sure-footed and transformational as Jesus was, spirituality will make us the same way. Wow. She said, I urge our people to make it their life work. We are to rise higher and still higher spiritually. We do not realize how untiring are Satan's efforts to sap our spirituality. You can probably identify some things that do that. You know, the exposure you have to things that rob your mind from being exposed to God saps the spirituality. Yeah. Uh, i got to tell you a little story. Last uh, week, uh, while I wasn't here, I, I have been a good father and grandfather several times over the last three months. My wife bought annual passes to a place that is a mousy land called Disneyland. <laughs> and one of the things that I do as a father and a grandfather is attend to those children at Disneyland at least a few hours a day. And then I get back to my room and my computer and I live a normal life again. But uh, to be with those children at that time is something I realize that I need to do. And for the first time this last week, we had all of our children and all of our grandchildren there. And I wanted to be involved with that. But I still got away to my room and my computer. <laughs> 870 quotes, you know, have to work my way through those things. And on the way back, I mean, how many of you are grandparents? You may understand what I'm going to say next. 
It happens to be a long ways from Roseville, California and Anaheim, California. Long enough for grandchildren to be not so pleasant. And they get irritated and they get upset. And something happens to my spirituality <laughs> to and from Disneyland. <laughs> you know. And I am now, by God's wonderful grace, I am being reminded while I am that way that God was not that way. And I am confronting the things, the roadblocks that are in the pathway of my spirituality. And so I think of myself and I say, well, Jesus wouldn't be feeling the way I'm feeling right now. That kid is really too loud, <laughs> you know, yelling and screaming and all this kind of stuff. Why don't you just shut up? No, I didn't say that. But I think I was thinking that, you know. And and in more ways than one. Oh, and oh, if you want to know something else, Christmas. Oh, that was horrid, you know. Here I sit there in this room. I'm just trying to talk about spirituality today. Sitting there in this room, this very lovely living room, and there's a very nice tree there, and it's just littered with all kinds of presents. And in the next half hour, I would have given anything to skip what happened in the next half hour. Those kids just terrorized those presents. Paper flying everywhere, lack of organization, a total mess. I wished I was somewhere else. They would find something and throw it aside and go after another thing, you know. And there was a part of me that says, no, 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 that's not the way you do this, you know. And I think that's probably right. But so what I'm trying to say is that there are so many things in our life that are standing in the way of spirituality. And what God is doing to me, and I'm very happy for this, I think he's got a big job in doing this, but he's having some success with me. He is helping me to start thinking more like he thinks, which is the first step to start responding more like he would respond, which makes it possible for spirituality to have a chance. And so I look at these things and I say, Thank you, Lord. I'm getting an opportunity to grow right now. And it's not a mock statement. It is genuine. So there are things that get in the way of our spirituality. Satan uh, tries to sap our spirituality away and he uses my own grandchildren. Oh, I'd like to get even with him for doing that. There must be a deeper consecra uh, consecration. There must be more spirituality. Here, listen to this statement. That sh uh, I like this one. I'm just going to share some of the statements because they will help us maybe to understand about spirituality. Here's one. Oh, they, Ellen White says, and she should know because in her spirituality, her particular, particular gift in spirituality enabled her to go back in history and forward in history. It's amazing what God can do with us when he wants to. He took Ellen White back in time and she experienced things exactly the way they were 
with the actual people of many, many, many hundreds and thousands of years ago. I don't know how God does that. She stood at the events and saw these things. And then she goes forward in history. She goes around just parallel in her own lifetime and is there at different places in people's lives. God gives her these kind of insights. That's a gift of spirituality. It is amazing. She didn't want the gift, by the way. It comes with huge responsibilities. But here, they, taking her all the way back to Jesus' day, the priests and rulers is who she's referring to, neglected to cultivate spirituality. And why did they neglect to cultivate spirituality? Can you guess what their reasons were? They said, no, we will not be that way. We will not be spiritual because... And then she provides the answer. You're very close to the answer there. It would place them in the minority. In the minority. There are so many things that would keep us from being spiritual. I want to please people. And so my desire to please people will come up against my desire to be spiritual. And so I have to give up one or the other. And a lot of people will say, I'll give up spirituality. Cost of not pleasing people is too great. See, spirituality, it has some wonderful benefits, but it has some huge price tags as well. So this movement that's coming across the land and emerging across the land today is going to come with such power and such force that it's going to be startling. And it's going to have a huge price tag that comes with it as well. She talks about there's a deplorable lack of spirituality. We are dwarfed in spirituality. These are her words. Destitute of spirituality. Diseased piety. Spirituality, she says outright over and over again, can die. It can die. And so, I like some of the, the statements she makes. Here's some of her favorite expressions, and I'll just share these. Then I want to get real quickly to what I want to say today. Yeah, just like 40 years going by, it takes me a while to get done. Uh, okay, she talks about people walking, do you like this statement? Walking in the sparks of their own kindling. Have you ever heard that statement before? Walking in the sparks of their own kindling. That's, that kills spirituality. And then she talks about, it's like barren trees. Barren, B-A-R-R-E-N. You may look from the topmost bough to the lowest branch and you will find nothing but leaves. There is no fruit, only a promise. And so as she looked across the church that God had called her to serve and to bring spirituality to, she sees nothing but barren ground. Very few, including the leaders of the church. You know, if we were to evaluate us today, how many truly spiritual people are here in the sanctuary today? That's something to think about. And are we, are you personally, am I really a spiritual person? Does God's Holy Spirit have complete access to me? 
Can God talk to me in such a way that I hear him several times a day and I know he's speaking to me? Is he changing my feelings and my thoughts and bringing them into conformity with his own? Is he helping me to understand and to think like Jesus thinks? Is he causing me to hate the things that I really need to hate in my life and to love the things that God wants me to love but are very hard for me to love? Is he doing that kind of stuff? You see, God will bring about, there should be no confusion. What God does is pretty profound. It doesn't need a lot of discovery. It is very evident. Spirituality is something you can see. I want to take you to the story of John chapter 3. Now, it's a very familiar story. Please open your Bibles, or if there's one in the hymnal rack, if you need one, take a look at it. There was a man of the Pharisees. His name was Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews, and Nicodemus recognized something. He recognized that among his people, there was no spirituality. Maybe he didn't phrase it that way, but that's what he saw. He saw that there was a great need in his people. Maybe he saw what Ellen White saw, that if they accepted spirituality, they would be in the minority. I don't know what it was, but he saw this among them. And so it was such a motivation that it caused Nicodemus to take a risk that was very uncommon for this methodical and careful man. He risked shame. That would be a horrible thing. It would put him in the minority, right? It would put a scar, a stain on him that probably would never be removed. And so in the midst of the night, he sought Jesus out, this Jewish uh, a scholar, this Jewish rabbi. And, he's, and he, he, he found Jesus and he came by night hoping maybe that no one would see him. And he basically wanted some kind of a tip on how to be more spiritual. Just give me something, like going to the tarot cards or whatever it may be, you know. Give me a tip, something that I could use. Nicodemus wanted to be different. He wanted his life to be more complete, more full, more powerful, and he wanted to be closer to God. Those were all genuine things inside of his heart. We are not to doubt that. He wanted that, but he was afraid of getting it. So he just wanted to be in control of it and get a piece of it. Now, how did Jesus respond to Nicodemus? It says here in verse 2, This man came to him by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher and no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. You know, when spirituality takes over in people's lives, People recognize there is power there that not everybody has, and so few do have it. And they are intrigued by that. And Nicodemus saw that power in Jesus, and he wanted some of that. He wanted some reality, some genuineness. Notice how Jesus responds. Nicodemus asks the question, Jesus, because Jesus was spiritual, sees right through the question to the heart of Nicodemus. And he notices that Nicodemus wants something, and he notices that it's genuine, 
And he also notices he only wants a part. And Jesus said, no way. You can't have a part of this. You either get it all or you get nothing. And so he tells Nicodemus something that Nicodemus wasn't quite ready to hear. And this is what he says. Verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. (laughs) Born again? Born again? Born again? Would you like to be born again? Would you really like that? Born again? Born again means you're totally different. It means everything about your life is totally different. You think differently, you act differently, you feel differently. You're totally different. Jesus said, you want more godliness in your life? You want more spirituality in your life? You want more power in your life? I applaud you for doing that, and I'm going to tell you how you can do it, but there's just one caveat. There are no partway, halfway steps. Why do you think that's so? But why? Why is it that you can't have partway? Why can't there be a middle? Nathan? So maybe the worst of all torments would have been what Nicodemus was desiring. Halfway in between. You'd have a part of you that would condemn the other part. And you would be totally at war with yourself at all times. And there would be no peace there at all. It would be self-destruction. Yeah. Yeah. And so God says, I love you too much. I admire you too much. You've got to be born again. Born again. We trust our senses. Spirituality trusts God. God lives beyond our senses. Would you grant God that? That God lives beyond our senses? Do you think God is governed and controlled by our senses? Everything in our life has been controlled by our senses. All of our memory, all of our identity, all of our thoughts, all that we are is controlled by our senses. God just lives beyond senses. Doesn't he? He has another reality. Yeah, praise God for that as well, Lloyd says. So, we trust ourselves. We trust ourselves. Because we spent a number of years, some of us more than others, you know, figuring it out. We've got it kind of figured out. At least we can survive and manage it. But God's people do not trust themselves, as I am growing more and more to understand. I do not want to trust myself. I want to become more godlike. I make a huge mess of everything I do. I'm beginning to learn. And I want God to be in charge of my life. So not only, I mean, if you get God in your life, He's going to give you a whole new senses. 
Your orientation is to trust self. His orientation is don't trust self, trust God, which means you have to fight against that. And everything of God appears upside down, and yet God seems to be more powerful and more together than we are. And so it intrigues us, just like it intrigued Nicodemus. Um, But he knew one thing for certain, that if he stayed where he was at, it was a dead-end road. Uh, There was more goodness in Jesus in a moment than in the lifetime of any of the rabbis that he knew. And he wanted that. He knew there was something genuine there. And maybe you too recognize there's something in God that's so special. If you just capture one little bit and control it, no, it isn't that way. You have to be born again. Your perceptions are all wrong. Your values are all wrong. Your hopes are all wrong. Your love is all wrong. And your friendships are killing you. In our Sabbath school class, I sat in with Roland's class. Thank you, Roland. It was an excellent class. Great class. Appreciate that. We have two really good classes here that I've set in so far. I haven't been in the little children's division yet. <laughs> but uh, I've set in these two anyway. And great classes here. And we talked about this thing about love. You know, is there a possibility of loving God without dying to self? The answer is no. You can't have two masters. It just won't work. You'll be at constant war with each other. God, our loving God, who creates us and loves us, and even His love is so great that He still loves Lucifer to this day. How hard it is for Him to let us go has got to bring us to death, to ourself, in order to save us and plant a whole new being. And He's in the process of doing that with me, and I know with you too. He's taken me to my end, seeing who I really am, and that's not a pleasant sight. And now he is inviting me to look at him, and I'm stopped. I don't complain as much. My wife and I are luckily on the same journey at the same time. That's really, that's a blessing, isn't it? You know, we're there together at the same time. I watch the struggles she goes through. She watches the struggles I go through. We learn from each other. And always there is this one common denominator. Listen to this. It is this. Jesus is a common denominator. What would Jesus do? And it changes our thinking. It changes our way. And we are willing, because we see the way Jesus is, we're willing to let him kill us. And love of Jesus puts new love inside us. That's really what God has to do to bring about spirituality. He's going to do it in a big way as we get on with this journey. Okay. Uh, Truly, you must be born again. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter. Well, a silly response, isn't it? (laughs) How often our responses are so stupid like that. Jesus answered, he just went right over that response. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is is spirit. 
Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. He talks about the wind blowing where it wishes. The wind blew breath into the nostrils of Adam and Adam became a spiritual person. And the Holy Spirit needs to blow wind into these old nostrils all the time. So I become a different person. Well, the opposites are true. And perhaps one of the most amazing things that he says here, and I'll end with this, is verse 14. Look at verse 14. John chapter 3, verse 14. He uses an example of the time of Moses about lifting up a serpent in the wilderness. Have you ever thought about that? How strange an example that was? That was a strange story, wasn't it? Now here, who was biting the people and killing them? And who does lift it up on the, sta- on the staff and they're supposed to look at this so they get saved, right? Well, what does that mean? Jesus has to bring us to death in order to save us. The serpent, he has to take us in the direction that Nicodemus didn't want to go in order to save us. And I'm getting to the place today, folks, and I'm not bragging about myself because my journey is a bad journey. Don't ever fall on my path. But I'm saying to you today that God has helped me to see things a little differently, quite a bit differently, and feel differently about things. And I'm excited about what He is teaching me and the way He's changing my life. And I am actually eager... My wife joins me on this. Every once in a while, faithfully, we retrograde, (laughs) you know. But we come back, praise the Lord. I am eager for him to put me to death so that I might be able to become a spiritual person. Someone who can have close and intimate fellowship with Jesus that could understand and maybe appreciate what it was that I was designed to be as a created person and that my talents and the gifts that he can give me can finally find perfect expression and that I may no longer be tormented by all of the junk that's tormented my life all my life long. Spirituality is something I'm really excited about. We're going to start a journey together in trying to understand what this journey is all about. May God bless us as we go down that path that all of us can experience this and it won't just be more head knowledge. It'll be something that we can experience. Father in heaven, this time that is yours, we thank you for what you have brought to our attention and how you have instructed us and what you are willing to do for us. Just now in this sanctuary, There are things that each one of us are thinking about that are in the way, that need to be put aside and put away. And there are dreams and there are aspirations that we each have, that we have to reach out to you in order for them to be fulfilled and realized. As we go down this journey together, may we determine to spend more time with you and to challenge our own thinking and to become remade. God is looking for a people who are willing to radiate something other than self, something far more wonderful than self, something that the whole world is now looking for. 
And may it be that each one of us will have some small, maybe insignificant, but powerful response that will help them to see you more clearly and find you in their lives as well. In Jesus' name I pray.